Scripture reading today is Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 25. If you're using one of the church Bibles, it's on page 516. And if you need a Bible at home, by all means, take one of these Bibles home. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. The word of the Lord. All right, well, let me just say a quick prayer and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we love you and we want to worship you and we want to know you and we want to know your spirit a little bit more this morning. We want to experience your spirit. We want to honor your Holy Spirit. And so I pray that we would do that. Uh, It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Maybe some of you have had this experience where you walk into a store and you see something you really like, decoration, maybe it's an antique store uh, or a tourist shop or whatever it is, and you walk in and you're looking at it, you're like, I can't find the price, where's the price? Uh, And so eventually you find a clerk, someone who can help you, someone who looks like they're, they're supposed to be there, and you ask them, like, how much does this cost? And they say, well, it's not for sale. And you're like, well, why is it up? <laughs> uh, and my, uh, the, the tour shop that I used to work at, Indian Village in Estes Park, we had a couple things like this. Uh, so in the back of the store, we had these really large uh, brass pots uh, that people would see. I mean, they were like, like this big and just completely brass. And, and people would see them and be like, wow, that's amazing. I've never seen anything like that. I want to buy that. How much does that cost? And be like, sorry, not for sale. Uh, it was just part of the decorations of the Indian village. Uh, we also had a, a big Navajo rug that was hanging on the wall and, and had a little sign on it said, not for sale. And sometimes uh, people would uh, come up and ask if the little old lady sleeping behind the counter was for sale. Uh, her name was Charlotte, and she would often fall asleep. And apparently the legend goes that uh, sometimes people even thought like she was like a, a doll, like a human-sized doll, and they would try to purchase her. Uh, but you can't purchase a person. You can't purchase a person. A person is not for sale. And we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit today is not for sale. See, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. 
The Holy Spirit is not a, a fluid or a force or uh, any sort of organism that can be purchased or sold or bought. The Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, and so we're going to be talking about how the Holy Spirit is someone who we're to interact with, who can give us uh, his presence, who can uh, empower us, and yet there is a certain way that we're not supposed to approach the Holy Spirit, seeking to use him for our own benefit. He's a little bit like Charlotte, a person. The Holy Spirit is God, not a human, but he's still a person, the third person of the Trinity. As Christians, we believe in this amazing, confusing doctrine called the Trinity, that there is three persons and one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all different persons. They're the same in essence. They're they're the same God. And this is a very confusing doctrine, and yet We find it in Scripture, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit and how it's a sin to try to buy or purchase the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you're wondering, like, who would ever try to buy the Holy Spirit? Maybe a better way to phrase this question is, who would ever try to buy spiritual power? When we think about it that way, well, it doesn't sound so hard to imagine who would try to buy spiritual power. We try to do that all the time, right? Maybe we give money to a good cause in order to reap cosmic benefits. We are trying to purchase the power of the spiritual. Maybe uh, we do good deeds or, or other things that will somehow reap us good consequences, like this cosmic karma. Well, that's a way of trying to purchase the power of the Spirit. And in today's text, we're going to find that God says no through his servant, Peter. Now, I want to read verses 9 through 11. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. I'm going to take one moment and pause because I have to turn off this camera because I did not fix it this week. One second. I could hear it, and I imagine you guys could hear it as well, so I don't want that to interrupt you. I tried to fix it this week. It didn't work. So we'll just have to deal with the one camera for the rest of the service. Now, Simon's sorcery is no uh, the magician's apprentice. Jeremy, can you just take that back? Thank you. Maybe some of you have seen The Magician's Apprentice with Mickey Mouse, right, who tries to uh, 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 enchant a broom to do his work uh, so that they can take these pails of water, and he ends up flooding the entire castle. Well, I went back and watched that, and uh, it's actually kind of scary at the beginning, uh, but it kind of gives like this lighthearted uh, impression of, of, of sorcery, of wizardry. And so when we read something like, uh, you know, Simon was a man who practiced sorcery, it's possible that we might think of this in a lighthearted, kind of ha-ha kind of way. But actually, the sorcery that Simon is practicing is more like the occult, more like witchcraft. It's evil, it's dark, 
It's not something you want to get involved in. It. There is actually power in it. It's a false power. It's not an eternal, heavenly, divine power, but there's still some sort of power in that. Uh, it, there's, a, there's enough in that that like, the people recognize that there's something there. He claims to be great, and then he proves it with, with magical deeds, whatever those look like. In fact, the people called him the great power of God. Can you imagine being called the great power of God? Not like just like, you're great. Like, you're the great power of God. So that means you're like kind of semi-divine. If like people started calling you Hercules, right? Uh, or Perseus, right? Like the sons of Zeus. You would think, wow, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty powerful. Uh, and, and it goes to his head, and he has this immense pride. It begins to build him up, and we can see this context that he begins to think something of himself, right? And, and pride is the beginning point to approaching the Holy Spirit in the wrong way, right? Saying that I'm the one who matters. I'm the one who has the true power. When in reality, it's not, the Holy Spirit isn't for sale because the Holy Spirit is like this unstoppable person, right? He is omnipotent, all-powerful. <laughs> we as people cannot contain the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is unstoppable. Now, the, the Philippians, uh, uh, I see a, a Philip, right? Verses 12 through 13. I want to continue to read the passage because we see uh, Philip uh, demonstrating the, the unstoppable nature, the unstoppable power of the Holy Spirit. So verses 12 through 13, let's look at those. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now, I want to remind you where Samaria is, right? Samaria is, uh, so Israel used to be this united kingdom, and then there was like the civil war, and Samaria got split off into the north, uh, Judea, and the south. And uh, the capital came to be known as Samaria, right? So it's this uh, kind of region, this, uh, this specific capital area. Uh, Samaria was taken into exile by the Assyrians and then, and then kind of repopulated with these kind of Greek-speaking Jewish but not Jewish people. And so they shared many Jewish beliefs and customs with the Jewish people, there was a lot of differences as well. And this created like ethnic, religious, social tension between those in Jerusalem, Judea, kind of the Jewish people as we would understand them through most of the New Testament, and the Samaritans in the north. Uh, and so uh, that creates tension, that creates uh, conflict, persecution. Yet here we see uh, Philip taking the gospel to Samaria. And when he does... Uh, he, it accompanies, he, he shares the gospel. People are believing, men and women. Uh, they're, people, they're getting baptized. Even Simon gets baptized. Uh, and he's performing great signs and miracles. That means there's like this power that, that, uh, uh, that accompanies what uh, Philip is doing, the preaching of the gospel. And it's not just like, oh, like, I know that my sins are forgiven kind of power. Like, that is powerful right, to be forgiven, like a spiritual cleansing, but they're seeing like demons being cast out and uh, people with infirmities and sickness being healed. This power was real and it touched the world. And Simon, when he sees it, he wants it. And I, and I almost want to say, like, good for you, Simon. 
Like, you want to experience God's power. Like, you want to control God's power, so that's wrong. But there is something right in wanting God's power, wanting to experience God's power. And we, like, as Christians, like, we, we should want to experience God's power too, shouldn't we? I want to experience God's Holy Spirit, the power of the living God in our church and our community. I want to see great signs and great wonders done. I want to see uh, the gospel being preached and shared on our front lines in this church and our community of Westford and people coming to Christ. There's just a different way of approaching it, right? Simon tries to grasp the power, and and we flip our hands over and try to to receive God, to receive the Holy Spirit through relationship. And imagine, like, what, what could change? What could change for us as a church body if we were experiencing this power that, that, that Philip uh, demonstrates? Francis Chan wrote a children's book, uh, I watched the YouTube version of it this week, so it must have started as like a sermon illustration. It's called The Big Red Tractor and the Little Village. Maybe some of you have read this book, The Big Red Tractor and the Little Village. Well, there's a little village full of people, and every year they have to plow their field. They're a farming community, an agriculture community. Uh, uh, and, and each year they have to plow their field, get it ready for planting season. And so each year they pull out their big red tractor, and they bring it over to the field, and they tie a rope to it, and about five to ten people get on the front side of the tractor uh, and begin to pull the tractor, and about you know five to ten people get on the back side of the tractor and begin to push the tractor. And they work all day, they labor really hard, they push, they pull the tractor, uh, they get about ten feet, it's a really good day, and... Uh, and they, they've just, they've accomplished so much. They go in, they rest, they have dinner, and they know that by the end of the planting season, they will just barely manage to finish plowing the entire field. Uh, and that'll be great. Uh, they'll be able to plant the field. Uh, the rains will come. The harvest will come up. The people will be fed. They'll, they'll have enough food, but just barely. They'll make it through the winter to the next season. And then again, they'll pull out their tractor and, and plow the field once more. Uh, and there's no, like, imagination of, like, what, you know, is this how this is supposed to work? <laughs> is this how the, the, the tractor is supposed to, 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 to deal with that field? It, 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 maybe there's something that's, that could come along that could change the situation so that they could be more productive, more fruitful, uh, uh, and experience, like, the harvest as it is intended. But this is how things have always been done, right? They work really hard. Uh, things happen, uh, and it works. And we're going to come back to that story. But I want us to understand that Simon seems to understand that there is something beyond. And, and the people of Samaria are experiencing it too, right? They are, experiencing, they are seeing God at work, and they want a part of it. Now, the Holy Spirit uh, cannot be bought. The Holy Spirit is unstoppable. And the good news is that this, the Holy Spirit doesn't relate to us through like this uh, this exchange barter method, where if I give God what he wants, he gives me what I want. And that's even true of us as a church body, right? If we can just give God like the best worship or the best offerings or the best donation to the food pantry, God will somehow be pleased with us and give us himself. That's not how this works. See, the Holy Spirit comes freely by God's will. The Holy Spirit comes freely by God's will. Verses 14 through 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. 
When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit comes, uh, and I think the Holy Spirit is already giving them that ability to believe. Right? We're, we're born through the Holy Spirit. Right? John 3 ch- talks about needing to be uh, reborn again by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I do think they already had like, saving faith, but they needed like, this anointing presence, this special presence of God, this, um, this, this specific pouring out. See, God has a certain intentional, official, and empowering way. He wants to give Samaria the Holy Spirit. He wants to give uh, the Samaritans his own presence in a special and specific way. And I want to show you this uh, kind of from a, uh, like a, a scriptural overview. Uh, because this was like God's plan that, that actually Peter would come and kind of make, make uh, it official that these are indeed the people of God. These are indeed Christians by Peter officially bringing the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I find this, actually, it starts in the Gospel of Matthew. Maybe you remember Matthew 16, where Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah, Lord. You are the Son of the living God. And this is this incredible moment where Peter is, like, recognizing who Jesus is, and Jesus rewards that. Jesus rewards Peter's faith. He says this, He blesses him in a special way. He says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, sometimes we read this verse and we come to believe that uh, 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 Peter uh, becomes like the Pope. Uh, And I don't believe that's the case. Uh, Do I have verse 19 on there too? Uh, No, I don't. Uh, Verse 19 says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So we see Jesus telling Peter, I'm going to build my church upon you. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Uh, And there's this like special anointing that Peter has, that whatever he binds on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I actually think Peter is thus kind of given the special task of unloosing, uh, unleashing the kingdom of God in this world. Now go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, it says this, uh, But you will receive power, so this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? That's kind of the, the game plan for the, the book of Acts. That we're going to see the gospel start in Jerusalem, Samaria, uh, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to all the ends of the earth, to Rome. Uh, and we actually see Peter like, fulfilling this ethnically, uh, uh, first with the Jews. So uh, Peter at Pentecost, right, uh, the Holy Spirit comes down, and who is there? Peter's there, and he preaches a sermon. Uh, And uh, many of the Jews come to repentance and faith uh, through Peter's sermon. Acts 2.38 says this, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is there. Uh, Peter is preaching to these uh, non-Christians. They come to faith. 
These are mostly Jews. These are people in Jerusalem at that time. But then we see it continue to spread through more Jews who probably would have lived in Judea and kind of that region. In chapter 4, verse 31, we see this. After they prayed, they, the place where they were shake, meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Uh, this is when Peter and John are leading a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4. So we're still in Jerusalem, Judea. Peter's there. But then it begins to spread to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, where we are today. Uh, verses 14 and 17 say this, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. They, they prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. See, Peter is just like officially saying, these people belong to God. God's presence is here. But we see it continue in Acts chapter 10. Uh, so it first starts with the Jews, Samaritans, and then to the ends of the earth, which is kind of this idea of the Gentiles, right? Acts 10, 44 through 45 say this, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. It's always been God's plan to give believers the Holy Spirit. I don't think we should create any sort of doctrine here that says, well, first you become a Christian, and then you have to like, do something special uh, to get God's uh, power on you. No, I don't think that's true at all. I think what Peter is doing is, is kind of formally acknowledging uh, the Holy Spirit has come to Jerusalem, Samaria, and now to the Gentiles. And I think you still can pray for a special anointing. That's a real thing. We pray for God's Holy Spirit to be made present in a special way. But here it's like this genuine authentication. So we can actually kind of pray for that same authenticating uh, kind of experience where the Holy Spirit is clearly evident. And I believe the Holy Spirit does come and is like here freely by God's will. Now, I want to continue with the story of the little uh, village and the red tractor. So uh, that winter, one of the farmers, uh, he's clearing out his attic, and they've made it through the, the, the plowing season, the harvest season, uh, the growing season, harvest season. Uh, and as he's in his attic, he's searching through some boxes, and he finds this book. He looks at it, and it says, uh, like, the big red tractor owner's manual. And he's just like, oh, this is interesting. I've never read this before. And so he begins to read through it, and he, and he just is fascinated. He just begins to pour through the pages and read it and, and, and hear about things like fuel and, and, and movement and speed. And it, it just begins to open up his mind to new possibilities and new things that he had never quite imagined before. He's completely surprised that if you put fuel on the tractor, apparently it runs itself, and it will move, and it will freely run. And he's so amazed, next day he gets up and he, he tells his wife, he tells his kids, he tells his neighbors, uh, and they have a meeting, and he, and he reads the manual, and they're like, no, that can't be true. That's crazy. Like, we know how to drive a tractor. You just need a really good rope, <laughs> some strength, some lemonade, uh, and you can get the, 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 that tractor moving. And he's like, no, the, the tractor really can plow the entire field in a day. And they're like, that's not possible. See, none of the villagers believe. They don't believe that the tractor can do this amazing thing, that the, 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 the tractor can bring the harvest, that the tractor can do all, all the hard labor. And so the question for them and for us is like, do we believe that the Holy Spirit can empower our church to do amazing things? 
Do we believe that it's always been God's plan that we would be anointed too in a special way to love each other, to worship God, to, and to make an impact and a, and a difference in our community? Or are we, you know, trying to pull the tractor? We're trying to make things happen, but largely it's by our own effort. So we can't earn God's presence. Like, we can't earn God's blessing here at Cornerstone. We can, do, we can work really hard and make things happen, but that's different than, like, the Holy Spirit empowering us and taking us along and carrying us and bringing the harvest. And this is just something that I'm learning, right? I think if any of you are perhaps detail-oriented people or uh, perfectionists or, uh, or just want to really do a really great job, excellence, we talk about that sometimes, that's good, but are we, are we leaving room for the Holy Spirit? And that's such a weird way to phrase that. Are we leaving room for the Holy Spirit? Like the Holy Spirit should have the entire room. <laughs> the whole room belongs to the Holy Spirit. The whole, all of us as a people. I want to be shaken. I want the Holy Spirit to fill us, to do amazing things. I do believe that the Holy Spirit can come freely by God's will. But I also want to talk a little bit today about how we can kind of approach the Holy Spirit in the wrong way. See, when we try to use the Holy Spirit as a tool, that leads to death. Right? Uh, it leads to death. And we, we read in Acts chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira, right? They try to take advantage of the Holy Spirit. They try to cage uh, cage the Holy Spirit, to, to kind, of, kind of sin against the Holy Spirit by, by lying to the Holy Spirit. And they end up dead. And it's only by God's grace that Simon doesn't end up dead too. When Simon saw that the Spirit was giving, given at the laying on, on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. He's not approaching the Holy Spirit like a person, like Charlotte. He's approaching the Holy Spirit like a thing. This thing happens to not be for sale. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. In other words, damn you and your money to hell. Like that's what Peter is saying. And if we think that we can purchase the Holy Spirit, man, or, or God's power... Oh man, we're in, we're in trouble. Verse 21, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. This is such an easy thing to do. Like, like if, we, if we think we can please God, like, if, God, if I just give enough money to charity, will you accept me? Well, that leads to damnation. Or the reverse end. God, if I just give up enough money, will you accept me? That also leads to damnation. So we need, we need Christ. We need Jesus. We need him to come and save us and help us to repent of our, our pride for giving enough money or pride for, uh, for not having anything, pride for doing good works, whatever it is that is separating us from truly depending on the Holy Spirit, our pride in our own abilities, that's what Peter says. He says, repent. That means to confess, to turn around, to go a different direction. Turn on the tractor. 
Stop trying to pull it or push it. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. A heart full of bitterness is not right before God. And I think that's where idolatry leads, right? Because when you, so idolatry is, is worshiping things greater than God, like things and yourself more than God. And Simon was clearly doing that. And that only can lead to bitterness in the end because those things always disappoint, right? We put our hope in other people. We put our hope in things. They disappoint us. It hurts. And that's where it leads. It leads to captivity and sin. So maybe one of the ways to know if you are um, perhaps not relating to the Holy Spirit in the right way, if I'm not relating to the Holy Spirit in the right way, is are our hearts captivated by bitterness or sin? I can say in my own life that yes, (laughs) sometimes that does happen. And it's like a constant working on it, confessing, Lord, change my heart. I don't know if that's you or, or not. But I don't want bitterness to control my heart. I bet you don't either. And so we repent. It's not trying to deal with that other person. It's just trying to deal with our own hearts. Thankfully, Peter gives Simon a chance to repent. And uh, we don't know, actually, if Simon does repent. He, He says, Simon answered, pray to the Lord for us so that, for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. <laughs> doesn't really say, like, forgive me. just says, well, I don't want that to happen. That sounds bad. Yeah, it does sound bad. Uh, apparently, according to church history, uh, like he, Simon became the first heretic. So that's outside of the Bible tradition. He spread false teaching, false beliefs. I don't know if that's true. We'll find out, I guess, with the Lord one day when we go to heaven. But the point is that uh, that Simon serves as a cautionary tale. And it, and it serves as a tale that helps us check our hearts. To say, how am I relating to God? How am I relating to the Holy Spirit? Uh, we want to approach God, but humbly. And I did want to take a moment and just say that, um, you know, I'm speaking largely to us as a church today, and, uh, and, I, and I do want to call, uh, do it like a, a word of warning, but it's not really about our church. It's about the Simons of our world. I'm not going to call out anyone by name, uh, but I do want to point, uh, if you've never heard of it, like the prosperity gospel, right? The prosperity gospel or the word of faith movement is this idea that like, God wants you to experience everything in this world right now. <laughs> like, he wants you to experience heaven in this life. And if you just have enough faith and believe hard enough, God will give you like, that new job, that relationship that you always wanted. Uh, he can heal you if you just have enough faith. And oftentimes, faith is expressed through a $1,000 donation to my account. And so it has a way of making, you know, the the preachers or the ministries wealthy and those that uh, follow them poor. Uh, And I did want to say that there is this documentary called uh, The American Gospel. Just I don't know, I clicked one. There you go, The American Gospel. I think we we don't actually have this in our library. We own it in our library, but it is currently on Lind, out in the world. So if that's you and you've watched it, please bring it back. Um, uh, but if you want to come talk to me, if you'd like to watch this, I, can, I have another way of watching it. I own it myself. I can lend it to you. Uh, 
uh, we've watched as the elders, and it, it just kind of talks about, like, what is prosperity gospel preaching? What is the Word of Faith movement? They do an investigation, and so I just encourage you to check it out. Uh, if, if you or you know someone who kind of falls to this, this scheme of, like, God, God wants me to be happy, healthy, and wealthy, uh, you know, and if I can just speak, speak my reality into existence, like, if I just have enough faith and I speak it, then God will give it to me. Well, that's not the gospel. That's a false gospel, and so we just want to be mindful of that. And, and that leads to death, unfortunately. That leads to sin. Trying to use the Holy Spirit as a tool leads to death. But freely receiving the Holy Spirit leads to life. Verse 25, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Uh, so the, the story focuses on Simon here. Like, here's all the problems with Simon. But uh, like hundreds, if not thousands of Samaritans come to believe and have faith in Christ Jesus. They freely receive the Holy Spirit, and it leads to life for them. Uh, and that should be incredibly encouraging. Like, you don't have to have it all together. We believe in Jesus. We, we uh, seek to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we, we trust Jesus, and we repent of our sins, and we, we keep going. Uh, and, um, and we experience God's power, God's harvest, God's presence. Uh, the farmer in our story, uh, with the, the big red tractor, so he's read this manual, and he's told people, and they don't believe, and so he's like, well, okay, I'm just going to fix this tractor. So he begins to get out the owner's manual and order parts and replace like the, the old parts that had dried out or, or worn out or broken down, the rusted parts, he replaces them. And over the course of the winter, he begins to work on this tractor more and more, and he finally he fixes it just in time for plowing season. Fills it with some fuel. He turns the, the switch and it roars to life. And he's so excited. He can hardly contain himself. He gets on and he's a little nervous because he's never driven a tractor before. But he, he drives the tractor. He goes out into that field and he's so excited. And this is during the middle of the night. He plows the field, the entire field, in one night. And then the villagers wake up in the morning and they're like, What? happened. <laughs> the entire field has been plowed. Like, I was getting ready to push that tractor today. And then they spot him, the farmer who believed, uh, asleep on his red tractor because he <laughs> wore himself out. They're like, you were right. And that season, they, they plow uh, more fields, and they have a greater harvest than they have ever had before. In fact, they bring in so much food that they can feed their village, but also other villages that are in need. I want to be like that, <laughs> that little village. As Francis Chan explained it, he's like, that, that, that tractor is the church when it's functioning kind of the way God intended it. When the Holy Spirit is empowering us and leading us and guiding us and energizing us, we're not trying to take advantage of the Holy Spirit just to build our own kingdoms. And guys, I say that first to myself as the pastor, right? Can't take advantage of the Holy Spirit just to build up myself. But neither can we as a church. But that also implies like we have to, see, we have to seek the Holy Spirit and, and we want to see the Holy Spirit move. And like, like thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ Jesus in Acts. Demons are being thrown out. People are being healed. And we have to ask, like, is there something about that that we can experience today as we trust 
and know the Holy Spirit and walk uh, and walk like in, in, in line with him. I think God is willing to pour out his Holy Spirit on us as a gift. And I think it leads to life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would just speak through your Holy Spirit and, and, and convict us of things that we can do differently, but mostly just convict us of wanting to be in relationship with you and wanting to know you and experience your grace and your, your Holy Spirit's power. Uh, Lord, we want to know you. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit. Ministry is just different. Life is just different when we're, when we're being led by the Spirit. Things happen that we can't explain, Lord. We want, we want you to be present here in a special way and for us as a church body, but also for us individually as we go out on our front lines, as we go to our gyms and our workplaces and our families and, or Zoom or whatever we're doing, Lord. I thank you for my church family, Lord, and that I see the Holy Spirit evident in them. Thank you for the ways that you are already at work and already filling us. Would you do it so much more? Would you fuel the tractor? And would we see the harvest? In Jesus' name, amen.